you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. As you do, if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. This week I was on Facebook for a little while, and uh, good things can come from Facebook. Uh, It's not all bad. And uh, a pastor friend of mine had posted an article, and it was a very timely article, but because it was a survey that was done by Lifeway about prayer, a survey done about the type of things that Americans pray for and who we pray for. And uh, some of the things were were pretty obvious. Uh, I felt like this was uh, not a surprise. Uh, 82% of people, according to this survey, uh, I don't know what the margin of error is here. It could be, you know, 20. It could be three. I have no idea. But I think it's indicative of our, of our culture. But uh, 82% pray for family and friends. You would expect that. Uh, 74% pray for their own problems and difficulties. So according to this survey, 
more people pray for others than for themselves. I thought that was interesting. Uh, 38% pray for people in natural disasters. And this is where I felt like it got interesting. Uh, 37%, so 1% less than people in natural disasters, pray for God's greatness. And even less than that, only 12% pray for uh, our government and our leaders in our country. I thought that was very interesting. Um, there was another question that was asked, and uh, 40%, 41% of people say that they pray for people who mistreat them. Uh, 37% pray for their enemies. Uh, but also 21% pray that they would win the lottery. So there you go. Um, and I uh, thought this was interesting, uh, 20% pray for success in something that they have put almost no effort into. <laughs> oh, that was interesting. That reminded me of college and being uh, about to take a test. <laughs> Please, Lord, help me. I know I did not study enough for this test. <laughs> uh, that's what that reminded me of. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. Uh, the, the one that I really wanted to highlight is the fact that 37% Prayed for God's greatness. That's, you know, about one in three, about one in four. Uh, what does this tell us about prayer? Well, it tells us that we still need today Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer. That what he taught the disciples 2,000 years ago is still applicable to us today. Now, this morning, as we talk about prayer, I just want to preface it by saying we cannot possibly talk about everything that there is to talk about regarding prayer. Uh, we're going to look at this text, and we're going to draw out some, uh, some key points about prayer, uh, but there's going to be some things that are going to be needed to left unsaid, because we just can't cover it, and uh, our, our passage doesn't uh, inform us on that this morning. Uh, we could spend weeks, we could spend a year on prayer. Um, but this morning, we're just going to look at what Jesus teaches us here uh, through our passage. So it begins with Jesus praying. And Luke is the one gospel that uh, we see Jesus praying the most often. There's several times that we see Jesus in the act of prayer. And this is one of them. And when he is done, his disciples ask him, now I don't know if they have been watching him pray, they've been near him while he is praying, but when he is finished, they ask him, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, this is something that is common that the rabbis would do in this time. John did it with his disciples, as we learn about here. They say, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. This is probably not the only time that Jesus has taught on prayer. If you will notice in this version of the Lord's Prayer, it's slightly different than the one that we recited uh, this morning that we recite every week. This is, the one that we recite is the one found in Matthew. This may be another time that Jesus is teaching about prayer, saying basically the same thing as he did in Matthew. So what we get from this question and uh, from Jesus' teaching on prayer, implicitly stated is the fact that prayer is important. Important enough for Jesus to teach his disciples about it, most likely on multiple occasions. So he tells them, when you pray, say this. And he gives them a model for prayer. Um, yes, we often pray the Lord's Prayer verbatim. 
This isn't necessarily what Jesus is teaching us to do here. Uh, It's okay that we do that. It is good that we do that. But what he is doing here is he is giving us an example, a model for us to follow with very important principles. So, we're going to divide this prayer in two ways. We're going to divide it between the vertical and the horizontal. Because Jesus teaches us to, do, uh, to pray in two ways here. Uh, and by vertical, I mean our relationship to the Lord, our relationship with God. And by horizontal, I mean our personal needs and the needs for others as well. So Jesus starts first with the vertical. And I think this is very, very important. Um, If Jesus was praying 37% of the time, he wouldn't pray and address God um, uh, or pray for the greatness of God. Uh, He would pray for the greatness of God 100% of the time because that's where he begins. So, first of all, he begins by addressing God as Father. The one word to start off the Lord's Prayer is revolutionary. This is so important. This would blow the minds of the disciples because God typically is not addressed as Father. In fact, in the entire Old Testament, we see God addressed as Father one time. One time. And so, Jesus says, when you pray, address God as your Father. Uh, I imagine the disciples' jaws dropping. Like, Father? Like, Um, that's very intimate. It insinuates that you have a a relationship with God, that it it is very close. Um, Jesus is blowing the stereotypes here out of the water. The disciples would see Jesus as their king, as someone who is holy, who who is other. But Jesus is saying, yes, he is those things, but he is also near to us. He is close. He, in fact, is your Father. We have a real relationship with Him. We have intimacy with Him. Through Christ, we are adopted by God as His sons. We are in His family. He becomes our Father. And that means that we have relationship with Him. So in this vertical relationship that we have with the Lord, there are two petitions, two things that we are to request. First is, hallowed be your name, and second is, your kingdom come. Uh, Our first and foremost request in prayer is that God's name should be glorified. Jesus is telling us to come at prayer putting the most important thing first, and that's our Father in heaven. As, um, as Presbyterians, uh, we quoted from the Westminster Shorter Catechism this morning, and you know what question and answer one is. What is our chief end? It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Our prayers should reflect that, the glory of God. Before we get into praying anything personal, we need to pray God's glory first. By praying that His name would be hallowed, We are praying that the holiness of God would be revealed in the world. Then Jesus gives us the second request. He says, your kingdom come. And the first request and the second request really intertwine. 
As God's holiness is revealed here on the earth, as his name is being hallowed, his kingdom comes. What we're praying for here is this, that God would put everything in this world under his control and that we would see it. Now, isn't God already in control of everything? Yes, God is sovereignly ruling this world. He absolutely is. Uh, As Abraham Kuyper is famous for saying, there is not one square inch of creation that is outside of God's sovereign control. But I think that we can admit that we are are living in strange times right now. Uh, We're living in this time that we like to refer to as the already, but not yet. Because Christ has come, He has died on the cross, He has been resurrected, He is sitting at the right hand of God right now, ruling and reigning. But yet, what do we see in our world? We see uh, diseases being spread. We see pain and heartache. Um, You've heard about the things that are going on in the city of Houston right now. I was honestly, I was blown away uh, by what uh, what I was reading, and the fact that uh, pastors' sermons uh, were being subpoenaed uh, relating to homosexuality. And I was thinking to myself, this is happening in Texas. Like that just blew me away. and uh, the, the fact that you know, Africa is suffering from this Ebola outbreak, uh, ISIS has been in the news so much recently, there's been wars and rumors of wars. And we can honestly think to ourselves, is this how God rules this world? What is going on? And so we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Uh, as Matthew says, or as Jesus says in Matthew, Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that God's kingdom would be realized here on earth. And we know that God is doing it. We know that He is. And we know that there will come a day when we won't have to pray this prayer anymore because it will be realized. And until that day, we pray, God, Your kingdom come. So as we pray, we begin with this vertical. Jesus teaches us to pray for God's glory first. And when we pray this way, it puts everything into perspective. And we need this perspective. God comes first. His will comes before our own. Before we pray that our parents would buy us the original Nintendo, we need to pray for God's glory. That it would be revealed here on this earth. That His name would be honored and glorified. If you're like me, you often fall into the trap of praying your own will. The things that I want to see happen, but Jesus teaches us to pray for God's will, to pray from God's perspective and have that inform the way that we pray. Now, if I were honest with you this morning, I would say that I often fall into the trap of praying my own will, having a laundry list of requests, and then at the end being reminded, you know what, I should be praying for His glory. And then I tack on this little line, well, God, not my will, but Yours be done. When I pray, I need to be praying first, God, Your will, and not mine, be done. And then I can bring my requests to the Lord. 
It's like when I get to the end of my prayers, I realize that I've been praying about myself the whole time. And God reminds us that we need to be praying for His will. So after we begin with our vertical relationship to God, Jesus then moves on into our horizontal relationships. He teaches His disciples to request things in three basic categories. For provision, for pardon, and for protection. And uh, when He is giving these requests, you notice something. He uses the word our and us very frequently. Even when we're bringing our personal requests to God, we're praying in a corporate sense. We're not just praying for ourselves. We're indeed praying for those around us as well. So Jesus says that we should be praying for our provision. That God would give us each day our daily bread. And you understand what Jesus is teaching about here. He's teaching that we need to be praying for our needs and not for our wants. I know that as we go through the Lord's Prayer here, I am not saying anything new, nothing revolutionary. These are things that we've heard before, but that we need to be constantly reminded of. God will provide our needs. He didn't have to give me that original Nintendo, and He did, and I'm grateful that He did. But He always provides our needs. It's like asking God to give us exactly what we need, not too much, not too little, just exactly what we need every day. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9 says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And God does answer this prayer of our daily bread. Sometimes He answers it miraculously, but He often answers it through our jobs, through that paycheck that comes. And what Jesus is teaching us here through this petition is that we need to be content with what God has given to us. So provision is first and then pardon. Forgive us our sins as we for we forgive for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So just as we ask for God's daily provision, we also need God's pardon for sin. Who here doesn't sin on a daily basis? We all do. Who doesn't need God's forgiveness daily? We all do. And who here has not been sinned against on a daily basis? Who here doesn't need to extend God's forgiveness to others every single day? So when we pray for God to forgive our sins through Christ, we also can forgive others. That person who cut us off in traffic on the way over here, uh, the person who is taking way too long at the checkout line in the grocery store, Uh, Our spouse, our children, our friends, our brothers, and our sisters. God is calling us to forgive as He has forgiven us. And then finally, protection. And lead us not into temptation. 
This isn't just a daily prayer. This is a prayer moment by moment. Lord, please protect us. Because temptation's all around us. And by ourselves, we're not strong enough to resist. We need God's help. Jesus taught us to pray to God as our Father, and through the blood of Christ, we have been brought near to God. Where we are weak and where we fail, God is strong. And we need His protection. You know, Jesus resisted Satan's temptations in the wilderness. He is the one who will give us strength. He is the one who will help us to ward off temptation in our own lives, just as He did in His life. So in summary, this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. He teaches us to pray for God's glory, first and foremost. To address God as our Father, because through Christ, we have an intimate relationship with Him. We begin by praying God's glory before moving into our personal requests. We begin with the vertical between, before moving into the horizontal. And as we pray for our personal needs, we also pray for the needs of people around us. Um, what I find interesting as well with the Lord's Prayer is that it is okay for us to pray for personal needs. Um, we often think, oh, I just have to pray for God and for His glory. It is okay to pray for our needs. It is okay to pray our desires. But first and foremost, we pray according to God's glory. But not only did Jesus teach His disciples how to pray, He also gave them encouragement in their praying. Because let's be honest, prayer isn't the easiest thing for us to do. It's really not. So Jesus begins with a parable, and he often teaches his disciples in this way. He tells them a story. So he says, imagine that you have a visitor that comes to you at night, and you don't have enough food to give to them. And you go to your neighbor, and you ask to borrow some bread. And your neighbor says, go away. We're all in bed. We're sleeping now. But you keep knocking and you keep insisting. Finally, your neighbor gets out and gets out of bed, gives you the bread, not necessarily because he's your friend. He's probably quite angry with you at this point. But because if he gives you the bread, you will finally go away and stop knocking on his door and he can go back to sleep. Uh, Jesus says that this is the same. The same thing is true in our persistence with God in prayer. Now, I want to, to tell us that this is a parable of contrast. God is not like this neighbor who gets angry with us, and finally, if we just keep asking him, he'll finally say, forget it, okay, I will finally give it to you. Leave me alone. That is not what Jesus is saying here. It's a parable of contrast. If your neighbor who is like that will do that, imagine what God will do for you. God who is intimate. We have an intimate relationship with him as our father. Uh, imagine if we are persistent with him in prayer, what God will do for us. Because God does care for us. He is genuinely concerned. And he call, Jesus calls us to persistence in prayer. He follows that up with, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This is where I feel like prayer gets hard. 
Because it appears that Jesus is saying that God will give us whatever we ask for in prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. And the prosperity gospel preachers have taken this and they have run with it and say, pray for it. If you have enough faith, God will give it to you. Praying for the material blessings, for the bigger house, for the new car, to win the lottery like the 21% of people do. Um, and various other things. But we know that God doesn't work that way because we're not asking for our daily needs at that point. Yes, God always answers our prayers. What about when we pray for things like, God, heal me from my cancer? Or, God, please protect my unborn child. Or, Father, please save my marriage. It seems like often these prayers go unanswered around us. But here's what Jesus teaches us in this passage. And we need to remember God's truth that He reveals to us in His Word. That we should persevere in prayer to humbly persist in bringing our requests to God. That God is our Father, who is even greater than our earthly fathers. And what earthly father would be so cruel as to give evil gifts to his children when they ask for good things? Now we know that there are some fathers in our world who are like that. But in reality, what loving father would not love to give their children good gifts when they ask for them. And if earthly fathers love to give good gifts when they are asked, imagine how much more our Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to His children when they ask Him. Here's the key. Jesus tells us what, good, what the good gift is. It is the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. When Jesus is saying to ask and to seek and to knock, and it will be given to you, He is talking here about the Holy Spirit. God will not withhold the Holy Spirit from those who genuinely ask and seek and knock, because He is a good Heavenly Father. When we approach God in prayer, we need to approach it from the perspective that God loves us. That He is a good Heavenly Father who loves His children. That He is a Father who does not act out of cruelty towards us. Instead, He acts out of love. And He gives us good gifts. Even when the things that we receive don't appear as good. We're reminded of Romans 8.28 that He is working out all things for good to those who love Him. Now, as I said in the beginning, we can't possibly say all that there, there is to say about prayer this morning. We've just tried to focus on what the passage is revealing to us. So even if we don't understand everything there is to know about prayer, Jesus gives us the instruction that we need. And He calls us to pray in our relationship to God. I haven't answered the, the question this morning that I often ask, and that is, how does this work? How does prayer genuinely work? And the answer is, I don't know. But I do know that 
that Scripture promises that prayer is effective. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, the Chronicle writes, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. James chapter 5, the brother of Jesus writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let, him, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And honestly, we take that seriously. Um, if at any point you would like the elders to come and to pray with you, we will. Uh, if you would like us to anoint you with oil, we will do that. Um, the, Bible, the Bible calls us to do that. And we will come and pray with you. He goes on, he says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I don't know how that works. But I know that prayer is powerful, and it is effective. I know that George Mueller prayed for food and drink. And somehow God orchestrated a bread truck to break down in front of their orphanage, and a milkman to show up with milk. Is that typical? Probably not. Um, but is it possible? Absolutely. J.I. Packer says this about prayer. He says, Prayer is the spiritual measure of men and women in a way that nothing else is, so that how we pray is as important a question as we can face. Because prayer says a lot about our relationship to the Lord. It tells us where our priorities are, if it's with the Lord or if it's in ourselves or in other things. And our understanding and our experience of prayer is drawn out of our belief in the gospel. Because if we don't believe the gospel, then we don't really have a relationship with God. We don't know Him truly. He is not our Father. He is just our Creator, but there is no intimacy there without the gospel. But if we do believe the gospel, things change dramatically. If we confess the fact that we are sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure, if we admit that we are without hope except for God's sovereign mercy, and if we confess that Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners and our only hope for salvation, if we believe that He died on the cross for our sins, that through faith in Him our sins have been wiped That through faith in Him, we have been justified before God. We are adopted into His family. Not only are we filled with this glorious and inexpressible joy that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1, but we are also drawn into this intimate relationship with Him through prayer. 
So Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray in all times and without ceasing. And I'll conclude with Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, where Paul says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 